This is Don Sesbury, wide receiver from the Seattle Dragons. Welcome to XFL Extra, the XFLboy.com podcast. Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 25th episode. In this episode, you'll hear from two guests. First, we will go to Seattle and speak to Dantes Bird, a wide receiver with the Seattle Dragons of the XFL. We will talk to Dantes about the Dragons' first win and how exciting it is to play in a sports-minded city like Seattle. Then we will speak to Mike Mitchell, our XFLboard.com team reporter for the New York Guardians. Mike will help us dissect XFL Week 2 and provide a look forward into Week 3, which, according to Mike, includes the first revenge game of this XFL season. I call this podcast XFL Week 2. What did you expect it to be called? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Dantes Speedy Bird to the podcast. Dantes is a wide receiver with the Seattle Dragons of the XFL. Welcome, Dantes. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great, and I'd like to thank you for coming back to the podcast. You've been with here before, and uh, that was before the season started, and now we're, I'm hoping to catch up with you now that the season has begun. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, the first thing in order, obviously, is congratulations on the big win for the Seattle Dragons over the Vipers last weekend. Thanks. It, it was a great uh, win. Um, it's always a great win, especially when you can get the win in front of your local fans. There was a lot of fans there, wasn't there? The, the stadium was quite full, right? Uh, yes, sir. I think we were looking at almost uh, 30,000 fans there. Uh, which I think has been the most so far by any XFL team, so that is great. Yeah, it was the most. Were you surprised to see that many fans show up for your first game? I was surprised, but uh, then again, I wasn't. Uh, they had warned me about the Seattle fans um, when I got here, and they said that in Seattle the fans love football, so I, I was expecting that to be a lot of fans, especially at the first game uh, with such a great fan base that they have here in Seattle. Yeah, it was good to see, and I'm glad for the Dragons that they had such a great fan base out there. Prior to the Seattle game, you guys went on the road to D.C. You played in the first game of the XFL uh, season. Now, the D.C. game was a tough spot for you guys. You went into their house on opening day, but you showed them a few things. Unfortunately, they did come out on top. Um, yes, uh, yeah, we went into D.C. our first game on um... We learned a lot that game and uh, had some things that we needed to get fixed in order to get the win against the Vipers that I think we was able to see when we was able to face D.C. Uh, we went back to practice the week after we played against D.C. and got better as a group and a unit and uh, really just honed down on the details and got ready to go. So we made sure that we left everything we had on the field for the Vipers. So the D.C. game helped you tune up the the Dragons, so you could do well against the Vipers then? Yes, correct. Now, you made waves in that D.C. game, especially catching that pass. While being covered on the sidelines, you managed to snag a really nice pass that set up a Dragons touchdown, didn't you? Uh, yes, sir, yes. It was a great moment, yes, sir. Well, that must have been a relief for you, because I spoke to you before, and I know how uh, your career has brought you to the Dragons at a time when you were wondering whether you were going to play football anymore, but now you came to the Dragons, you made it through their training camp and succeeded to get a starting spot on the team, and then you walked out on the field in D.C. and caught that beautiful pass. Uh, yes, sir. I know when uh, my number is called, i got to make that play. Uh, not only is my coach depending on me to make that play, but... Uh, a lot of my teammates uh, depend on me to make plays as well. So whenever my number is called or whenever whoever's number is called on the team, they got to show up and make their play because we all depend and lean on each other. 
you have to focus on making the play. You're, you're not really focusing on uh, on your career at this point in time. You're focusing on making that catch and making that play so the team can progress down the field, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, right now it's all about the team. So whatever the team needs me to do, whether that is a, a role on special teams or a major role on offense, um, I'm willing to take full responsibility and do whatever it takes for my team to win. It's good to hear, but I want to tell you a secret, okay? Now, I spoke to you prior to the season starting, and you told me how it was important for you to be back and playing in a professional football team. So I can tell you, when I saw you catch that pass, I was saying, way to go, Speedy Bird. I was rooting for you all the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, i got to ask you a question about the, you were talking about when the play is called. How do you like having the play call coming into your helmet? Um, I love it. It um, helps us get lined up faster. Um, it uh, kind of cuts down on a lot of the confusion. Uh, we have direct uh, communication with our play caller, uh, which is our head coach at the time. And um, it just helps us play faster and helps us get lined up faster. Uh, I know sometimes um, when you huddle up, you can't really hear the play or sometimes not the whole play is read out. So, we have direct communication with uh, our coach who calls the plays, so it helps us get lined up faster and everything moves fast and clean. You guys are all used to this method of calling the play now. It's This is actually working well for you now. Now, with the shorter play clock in the XFL, do you find the XFL seems to be a faster game for you as a player? Um, I, I do notice the game does go by pretty fast. Um I think it goes by pretty smooth. I don't ever feel uh, rushed or panic about the play clock. I like the way it's operated. Uh, it cuts down on kind of the waiting around and the dead time between each play. It uh, helps speed up the tempo, and it helps us get in and out of each play. So I, I really like the pace and the tempo of the XFL. Yeah, it's definitely a faster tempo, and it's it's good to hear that, that you're enjoying it as well because I know the fans are enjoying it. One of the things in the XFL, there's a lot going on when fans are watching the game on TV. They're hearing, often hearing the the entire play call, and they're often hearing um, the coaches' uh, comments uh, live on TV. And then they hear right away when somebody does something good or something bad, a player, they hear right away there's a sideline interview. How do you feel about those sideline interviews that they're, that are happening with uh, between the broadcast media and the players? Um, yes, the sideline interviews is something that is definitely new. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting how they do it. Uh, I think the fans really love uh, having that direct uh, sideline interview right after something happens, whether that is a big catch or maybe sometimes a bad play or personal foul or something like that. I think uh, fans really find that entertaining. Uh, the players, it really doesn't get to us uh, we just, when when we interview, we answer the questions and we just give an honest answer and just get ready to go back in or get ready to make the next play. So it's just a side distraction for you, it's a short distraction, then you're off to play the next play. Now, I have a yeah. question for you about the uh, about the ball. Now, I don't know if anyone's talked about this yet, but how is that XFL ball? Is it easy to catch? I know the XFL ball is the same size as the NFL ball. It's different. Uh, it's a little, I think it's a little lighter. Uh, it has a different material on the football. Um, I actually like the XFL football. Um, it's lighter, and I, I do think it's a good ball to catch. And it, it's um, good to catch in, like, bad conditions and weather because it's a leather football, and I like that. So in bad conditions, you've practiced with the XFL ball in rainy conditions in Seattle, and you found that it was easy to catch even in uh, wet conditions? Yes, I agree, because every day it rains in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to know that the ball is good for Seattle weather, especially if you're playing in Seattle. Now, we talked about Seattle, and we you talked about what it was like to play in Seattle in front of all those fans. Now, Seattle has a real a real football heritage, and I noticed there was a photo of you on the field, and you got to meet, uh, as well as meeting Jim Zorn, you got to meet Seattle legend Steve Largent last weekend as well. Yes, yes, that was a, a great moment. Uh, 
when I had seen the guy, um, I really didn't recognize him, like, just right off the back. But um, after my coach introduced him, I knew who he was and was just very excited to meet him and just have the opportunity to be standing on the same field as him. So that was just a real surreal moment, and I really enjoyed meeting him. Yes, you're playing in the same the same sort of venue that 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 those legends played in. It's kind of fun, I'm sure. Now, the other fun thing that happened for Seattle on uh, last weekend was right when the Vipers were trying to get some offense going, the fans got really loud, didn't they? Yes, yes. I know uh, the Vipers probably had some hard time here and there. Uh, play caller in our stadium because our fans were really into the game and it was really loud. So there was a definitely an element of fan noise that affected the Vipers uh, last weekend as well, wasn't there? Yes, definitely. As you pointed out, you went to D.C. for your first game. You learned a lot. Uh, you gave them a good competitive game. And then you came back home and you gave a game to Tampa Bay and came out on top. Now, does this mean the Dragons are starting to gel as a team right now? Uh, yes, definitely, I think so. Uh, of course, we're not perfect yet. It's only the second game that we have played. Uh, we're just going to continue to get better and continue to grow as a team and just cut down on some of the mistakes that we make each week. Uh, I think we're definitely progressing in the right way, and I think that we will be fine and one of the strong-type uh, contenders in this league. Yeah, it'll be good to see the progression of the Dragons and, see, and watch you guys progress into contenders, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that progression, as I know a lot of fans are. Now, what is common about the players that are around you? Is it common that they want to win a championship, or is it just as important to prove themselves on the field? Um, I think everyone has the same goal in mind. Everyone is here to give their all and leave no doubts about their football ability, so when everyone shows up here, everyone gets their full 100% effort every day. And really no one really like slacks or doesn't take it serious or just here to be here. I think everyone's here for a reason, uh, whether it's because someone didn't give them a certain opportunity or they have something to prove to other people who might not be um, strong in their football ability. ability. So I just think everyone's here for a reason. So when when all of us is on the football field together, we're all competing and getting each other better. And I like the atmosphere and I like our team. The XFL has a slogan, and I think they painted on the field uh, last weekend for the love of football. Is that yeah. is that meaningful to you? Yes, it's very meaningful for me. Um, yeah, I went without football for a while, and during that time when I went without football, it made me appreciate the game even more um i got to just sit back and just kind of just focus and kind of look at the game from my outlook of i don't know if i could be playing again so when the opportunity was given i made sure that i took full advantage of it and didn't want to leave any doubts on the football field it's been quite a journey for you i know just over a month ago you were thinking of giving up on football, and you told the story of being uh, ready for um, uh, a, a non-football job, and you were at a job interview when the Dragons called. That's still an amazing story in my mind, and I'm sure it still uh, resonates with you. Now, you felt this was God telling you that your football days were not over, right? Yes, correct. Yes, um, it's all about timing. Uh, sometimes you never know when you're going to be called or when the opportunity is going to come, but when the opportunity is given you can't leave any doubts or you cannot not be ready for that opportunity because it could come any moment any day so you just got to be ready to go and just give full effort just leave no doubts and you should succeed in whatever opportunity that is well i think people will agree with you that you've left no doubt uh Dantes, that you're you're showing your uh your football worth on the field right now with the dragons now next week you host the Dallas Renegades on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, which is 2 p.m. Seattle time on Fox. This is a good preparation week for the Dragons because you don't have to travel, right? Yes, correct. And it's also our first uh, conference game, uh, so we, we need to take this game very serious and get a win. So I hope you and the Dragons have uh, a good preparation for that game and are able to uh, match what the Renegades bring to Seattle. Yes, correct. Yes, sir. I hope so. Well, I wish you all uh, good health, Dantes, and good luck on the football field.
Thank you. I appreciate it so much. All right. So people can follow you online on your Twitter, which you're uh, pretty active on. I have your Twitter address at underscore Speedy Bird, underscore S-P-E-E-D-Y-B-Y-R-D, right? Yes, correct. All right, Dantes. Have a good game. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. I'd like to welcome Mike Mitchell to the podcast. Many of you know Mike for his insightful articles about the XFL on XFL Board and on XFL News Hub. And you may also know him as one of the XFLBoard.com team reporters for the New York Guardians. Welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on, Mark. Now, week two of XFL has now come and gone. And I think the last time I spoke to you on this podcast, it was prior to the beginning of the season. So we've had two weeks of XFL under our belts. What do you think of this league? I'm pleasantly surprised by the quality of play, considering it's only been two weeks. I expected some sloppy play, and we've had a little bit of it. But the quarterback quality is what stands out to me. Seeing young guys like Cardell Jones, P.J. Walker, Jordan Te'amu, those three specifically shine in this league is what's going to make the league in the long run. Like the XFL can actually, you know, pat themselves on the back for scouting these players, signing them and bringing them into the league. Because if you look at the Alliance of American football from last year, they didn't have a single quarterback that was as good as Cardell Jones or PJ Walker or Jordan Te'amu or Landry Jones for that matter, or Josh Johnson. So the quality of the quarterback play has been very impressive. And I think the play overall is going to get better. You know, we're going to find out how the public responds. So far, it's been a good response to the league. I think because a lot of people who are hedging their bets on the league are pleasantly surprised that the league has exceeded expectations. Now, that may be because a lot of people had a low opinion of the league or was dismissive of it. But um, we'll see how it goes moving forward. But I'm very encouraged by what I've seen on the field. I'm really enjoying the football product. Yeah, the football product's been great. Uh, mind you, on uh, this past weekend and in week two on Saturday, there was a couple games that were a little dull. And uh, But other than that, uh, on Sunday, the XFL redeemed itself with two great games, including uh, the late game on Sunday between St. Louis and Houston, which was probably the best game of the XFL so far, wasn't it? No question about it. You got to see those two great young quarterbacks go out there and perform well. I've been really impressed by, with Jordan Te'amu. And, you know... Not only are these teams trying to prove themselves and win and gain favor with their fan bases, but the XFL is kind of trying to gain favor of the public, the viewing public, the football fans. So Saturday was a little bit unfortunate in terms of the quality of play because outside of Cardell Jones' tremendous performance with Pep Hamilton calling plays with him, the other teams there didn't really uh, play very well on offense and it was kind of sloppy football. So uh, people who are still sampling the product may have come away from Saturday thinking, okay, so... Uh, I don't know if this league's going to be that good, but if they hung around for Sunday, and it took a while for that Dallas-LA game to get going, they scored 34 points in that fourth quarter, so it was a very exciting finish. And then, as you mentioned, that quasi-primetime game between uh, St. Louis and Houston was fantastic, and uh, I love seeing these teams play this way this early in the season, and that was a heck of a matchup. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching those two young quarterbacks continue to play in the XFL. Yeah, for sure. Aside from the play... Uh, I want to ask you a question. Now, what is your opinion of the officiating in the XFL and the use of the uh, booth for uh, rulings? I love the transparency. It hasn't been as quick as advertised. I, I remember leading into the season, there was talk of it being a 60-second process where whoever was up in the booth would have to get it uh, corrected immediately. I would rather them get the call right, and that really doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me if it's in 90 seconds or two minutes or what have you. There have been a couple of calls that have been a little bit questionable. In the St. Louis-Houston game, there was an offside penalty that wasn't called. Jordan Te'amo took a shot down the field because he thought he had a free play. Houston intercepted and returned it almost all the way back. That really changed the, the makeup of that entire game. So there was that was a questionable call there that could have been reviewed. But because there's a sky judge in the booth that's only allowed to overturn egregious plays or within the last few minutes of a game, that was kind of left out there like a judgment call by the refs. They, the referees who work the game claim that the defender got back before the snap. So you can actually get into the neutral zone and come back, and they didn't flag him. So that was the one little controversy that we had thus far, though, I got to say, the officiating 
is another aspect of the league that's been surprisingly very good and has exceeded expectations because you have a bunch of, even though these are Division One officials, you have a bunch of officials that are getting accustomed to a new rule set that they haven't worked before and a new style of uh, football. So I think they've done a very good job uh, of being on top of it. And, um, you know, I because it could have been worse. That's for sure. It could have been a... Uh, a horrible display by the officiating teams if they weren't on top of their game. So I think that has worked out. It seems the officiating crews were ready for this league. They were well-practiced and ready because they came out running. They did not stumble. Uh, there's been a couple of, uh, of times when maybe decisions were a little slow, but still not as slow as some of the decisions I've seen in the NFL or even more ridiculous some of the decisions i see in the nba that take five or five minutes but let's not talk about that because that's not why we're here the other thing about that i've noticed about the xfl is the timing of the games now the first game seattle at dc that kind of went beyond three hours but that was the only one right and then uh you know they were cutting it close in the first weekend and it seemed like for whatever reason in this second weekend the games finished before the three-hour time frame and so in some cases, two hours and 48 minutes, two hours and 50 minutes. So the, the announcers after the game had some time to talk about, recap things, go into the locker room, see the post game, all that. So I think it's, I think that's worked out for the well for the league, too. And the amount of plays they've been able to achieve has worked out because XFL has a unique system there where they have a running clock throughout the game. And then they stop the clock in the last two minutes before the end of the first half and, of course, at the end of the game. So I think overall that it's, you know, I, I, I think it's – the, the league and the referees and the teams get used to the 25-second play clock and everything else. The games will fit into those three-hour windows. I still have my fingers crossed, however, for an overtime game. I don't care if it goes past three hours. Yeah, an overtime game, is uh, it's almost necessary that we see the overtime format. I'm just kind of dying to see it. Now, I'm still not sure why the first game went over three hours and the rest didn't. I don't know what they changed. I can't figure out what they changed in the in the subsequent games. I think there was a lot of like delays in the game. There was a lot of moments where there was um, a couple of injuries, but there were also delays during the whole Dylan Day fiasco where they were fighting on the field. There was a couple. They were they were iron, ironing out the kinks, kind of. So things didn't run as quickly as they wanted to. I think the the uh, the lead into the kickoff was about 12 minutes long. You know, just Steve Levy and Greg McElroy introing the game and then Diana Rossini and Tom Logan Bill on the sidelines and then interviewing the quarterbacks and all that Cardell and Brandon Silvers. It took a little bit of time for that. So I think they shortened that up a little bit and not necessary for it to be that long before kickoff. So I think, uh, you know, you tweak things as you go along and improve upon them. And I think the league is definitely in a position to do that. They are improving things. I can You can kind of tell they are tweaking, which is exactly what they need to do. Now, another thing that, that has kind of been tweaked and come and gone is the uh, the live mic with the play calling uh, going out to the fans. It was revealed after the first week that, uh, for example, Jim Zorn, uh, head coach of Seattle, did not realize that his play call was being broadcast. Yeah, that was that was strange because everyone who follows the league uh, understood that to be the case. And so so and I think some of these coaches are very uncomfortable with it. I think they don't know when they're going to they like Zorn had to have been told that you're going to be interviewed at some points by the announcers in the booth by Steve Levy and Greg McElroy in week one. And that's happened in every XFL game where you'll see them. You'll see, like, for example, Joel Klatt and Kurt Menefee talk to uh, Bob Stoops on the sidelines. So. Um, you know, that that has happened during the XFL game. So it was kind of unique and intriguing that Jim Zorn had those type of those type of issues and was unaware of it. Um, I, you know, I guess he should be aware of it now, though. I'm assuming he's aware of it now. Uh, <laughs> and I, I noticed that they continued to do it, uh, broadcast to play calls on this past week and in week two. And uh, that's something, you know, I really like it. It really gives me an insight over what's happening between the coach and the booth and on the O-line. Doesn't I enjoy it. You know, it's not always perfect. There's sometimes there's a lot of lingo out there that, that people don't really care for, don't quite understand. And sometimes even the announcers don't quite pick up on what's being called. But there are moments like in week one where Pep Hamilton and Cardell Jones and tight end Kari Lee were working together. And they, they designed that double reverse flea flicker play, which ended up scoring a touchdown. And you kind of saw through that whole process that they – 
that Pep and Cardell weren't too confident that Carrie Lee was going to be able to carry out the play and because he had not practiced it properly. So you saw them talk uh, Carrie Lee through it by being patient at the line of scrimmage and selling the potential reverse before releasing and going out into his route. And he ended up executing it perfectly. And, and you saw that play out. And you, you, I, I've been very impressed with Pep Hamilton. He's got such a calm demeanor on the sidelines. He's very confident. He's not boisterous or loud. I mean, he's been, he's been a play caller for a long time now in college and in the pros. And he's got he's in a rhythm right now, and his relationship with Cardell is excellent. And hearing those two communicate with each other and being on the same page on the sidelines, that's been a very cool thing to see. As someone who's been watching football now for over 35-plus years, I've been very uh, impressed by that. And I think that access they gave us, the broadcasters, the XFL, has really helped us you know, take a look behind the curtain. Yeah, you know, I liked to look behind the curtain, especially, and I agree with you about Pep Hamilton, his uh, demeanor on the sidelines and as a coach seems to be part of the success of the D.C. Defenders so far. Uh, Now, another thing I have to talk about is the sideline interviews with players. I've received emails on XFLboard.com, emails from people, and they might think they're emailing the league, but I'm not so sure. (laughs) And they're telling me they don't like the sideline interviews, that they interrupt the game. And I'm wondering, uh, I guess some people just don't like them. Now, I've spoken to players, uh, a couple players, and they told me they, they don't mind them. So what do you think? I think it's a work in progress. I think, I think it's mostly a hit or miss kind of thing. Sometimes you get really cool moments like when Ty Rousen, week one, missed the chip shot field goal. They interviewed him after the play. I know that was not an easy thing for him to do. But then he had redemption as he kicked a 54, 55-yard field goal. At the end of the first half, when Diana Rossini interviewed him right after that, it was also a great moment with Nick Holly in week one where he was interviewed um, by Brock Heward after making a big play. And Brock Heward asked him about, you know, his struggles to try to be a pro football player, two ACL injuries, broken back. Why is he still playing? And Nick Holly gave a very heartfelt answer. Thank Vince McMahon for letting him still be a pro football player, for giving him this opportunity. So you have some moments like that that are that are great. You catch uh Someone in the heat of the moment, a football player in the heat of the moment like that, it's terrific. Sometimes you get a situation like yesterday, Nelson Spruce scores a long touchdown, very exciting play from Josh Johnson to him. He's running back, and um, Molly McGrath runs over to try to interview him. He's got to line up for the conversion. So he's out of of breath, and so the timing of it is not very, you know, he couldn't really talk. He's got to get, he's got to line up and play, so... The broadcasters, the broadcasting teams, they got to pick their spots. They're also a work in progress. You know, as the season goes along, they'll get better at their job. And then some of the excessive interviews that are maybe a little bit on the silly side or unnecessary will be trimmed down. And some of the more important moments um, will, will be picked up on. I think it's a mixed bag, really. I can see why some people don't like it, but um, it's very new. Um so anything, anytime you have something new that you present new, um, it's going to have some resistance. So I think it'll take some time getting used to for some people, but I think there is value. In it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny because she went to interview Spruce and then he said, oh, I got to go. And then he ran out to the field and she just, I can't remember what she said, but it was actually quite. <laughs> you, you get funny, genuine moments too like that, even though that didn't come off cleanly. Yeah. That was a genuine moment, like the Dylan Day moment where he dropped the F-bomb. On yeah. week one, you kind of hey, these players are amped up. They're in the heat of the moment. Sometimes they say some things, so um, you don't want that if you're the networks. But but uh, you, but those are genuine moments that are like they're that are part of football. And now the fans are getting an opportunity to to hear what they've never heard before. Well, I can tell you that I know one fan that sent me an email to XFL board that said they did not like to hear those type that type of language on a football broadcast. And I'm thinking, well, this person sent this to XFLboard.com. They probably thought they were sending it to XFL.com. <laughs> and if I got one email like that, I wonder how many the XFL is oh. getting. I'm sure they're getting uh, – if I get one, they're probably getting 100 for sure. Yeah, and that's why the networks have a 10-second delay. But, you know – it's live TV, so sometimes things like that happen. You know, I get it. You know, you don't want your children to hear that. Some people don't want to hear profanity, um, 
there are moments when I'm interviewed on this show where I try to avoid using any kind of profane words just to not in, uh, insult or offend anyone. Not that I want to use them, but um, or been given a reason to. But but um, that's kind of the story there. So I get what's why some people be ticked off about it. The, the networks in the league, they got to try their best to avoid those situations if they can. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people, even if they bleep it out, they can still they still claim they can read lips and they know what was being said. Myself, exactly. I, I'm not offended. I, in fact, I, I have a smile on my face when I see things like that, especially the uh, the play calling from the OC on the uh, on the Dallas and L.A. game. Norm Trial would call a play and then they would have to bleep out everything he said after the call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is how some of these guys talk, you know. If you've been following football for a long time, you've been around football teams or played it or what have you, uh, this is how, in the heat of the moment, heat of battle, this is how men talk. Yeah, and they're not going to teach Norm Chow how not to uh, uh, do that at his uh, stage of his this stage of his career. There's no doubt about it. So they just bleep him out. But I think, anyways, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> Let's move on a little bit. So I want to I want to go run through the games on uh, last weekend, and I'm going to do it backwards. So we're going to run on the most uh, the 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 last game first. So St. Louis at Houston. That was what the best game of the week, wasn't it? Uh, no question about it. And I was uh, I was really happy to see how well St. Louis has been playing the first two weeks of the year. There was a lot of uncertainty that they're starting a rookie quarterback out there, and um, you know you never know how he's going to perform. And I think Jordan Tayama has been one of the like brightest spots in the entire league. And St. Louis overall has exceeded my expectations thus far. Houston, it obviously looks great. I mean, I'm not surprised. June Jones, the run and shoot. Uh, I think P.J. Walker has really taken to the coaching. I think Chris Miller is an unsung hero. He's the, oh, I say, de facto quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator, coordinator, even though it's June Jones's offense. I think he's done great work with P.J. Walker. And so Houston looks like a formidable team, and St. Louis looks like a real threat to be a playoff team. It's only two weeks, but uh, that's my opinion on those two teams at the moment. Tiamu is a really good quarterback, and he's gonna, you know, he's got a lot of potential. And I think he, as a matter of fact, he probably played just as well as P.J. Walker did. Now they're different quarterbacks, but right. Tiamu was was just as good as Walker in his own way. Uh, another player that I think has really come across for Houston is the running back, James Butler. Yeah, he's run really well. You know, it's uh, a lot of people expected Andre Williams to be more of the bell cow there. And a lot of people think the running back position is somewhat of an afterthought in the Houston offense. But if you have a good running back and you're playing four wide receivers every every single down, what you're going to have is defenses line up in the nickel and the dime. So they're smaller to begin with. And you put in a good back there, he's going to be running against smaller lineups. And Butler has some speed, some quickness, good agility, and I think he's done really well. You know, they've got so many different weapons on Houston's offense that he can kind of get lost in it. But I think he stood out for sure in the first two weeks. Yeah, he has. And you got to remember that he was um, he was out of football until about the first week of training camp when Houston invited him in. Uh, he was uh, actually just finished a workout with the Green Bay Packers. And he decided to come to the XFL for the opportunity. And I interviewed him on this podcast a few weeks ago, and I wrote an article about him. And then what happened on the first week of the XFL season, he, in the Houston game, he scored two touchdowns. And I can tell you what happened to XFL board when he scored the first touchdown is hundreds of people Googled him at the same time. And the biggest thing they found was an article on XFL board about him, and they all clicked on the link at the same time, and XFL board actually crashed. Look at that. And I texted him. I texted him after the game, and this happened twice because he scored two touchdowns. Look at that. So he so, ran through. He ran through a defense and the website. Right. I told him. I texted him, and I said, James, you broke the internet. That's how good you did. <laughs> That's great. That's great for him. Not so great for the site, but pretty awesome story though. Well, the, the <laughs> site, the site actually pointed out a flaw in the site, and uh, I and the site is is better. It's got more resources now. So that being said, he did. It. So everything is good there. But yes, James Butler broke the internet. Is that's my take on that whole episode. Very nice. Now let's move uh, back to Dallas at L.A. Now that was a game that that kind of started slow, and then it really picked up, didn't it? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like, if you were like a casual viewer of the XFL, you watched the Saturday games. You say you saw so-so quarterback play to 
to be frank. And then so Sunday you're going in thinking, all right, Landry Jones and Josh Johnson are starting. This should be a game that produces points. We're going to see good quarterback play. But by the time we got to the fourth quarter, it was 6-3. So you had three field goals in four, in four quarters. So there was a, a very good – I guess both quarterbacks are coming off injuries. They Obviously, Landry Jones is not known for his mobility, but he's got a serious knee injury. He hasn't played in over two years, and he only practiced a few times in the week leading up. And then Josh Johnson, same boat there, very limited going in. And both those guys, they had to shake off the rush, so to speak. And then by the time the fourth quarter came – uh, became a shootout. Dallas started to run the ball well. Landry made some big throws. He actually ended up throwing for over 300 yards. And I think I liked I, I liked the humility he showed. You know, he wasn't um, bragging about his performance. He was actually um, very critical of his own performance. And yet he threw for 305 yards. And I don't think Dallas would have won the game if they if they didn't have him. I thought LA was game. It was an exciting game that came down to the finish. And I think you can see the sense of relief for Bob Stoops. To, to to get that get off the schneid and get his first win as a pro football head coach and kind of get that team some confidence because they were a little bit humbled at home in week one by St. Louis. And L.A. on the flip side has had a lot of turmoil in the first two weeks, and so um, it didn't end the way they wanted it to. But I think them having Josh Johnson gives them a fighter's chance every week, regardless of all the other different issues that L.A. has been going through. Yeah, the L.A. issues didn't really rise up. Uh, that much in that game, uh, and both quarterbacks did seem quite ineffective until until the fourth quarter. Now Landry Jones, of course, when he ran the ball, he kind of looked like his knee was still not with it. And there was one run where he actually did a somersault instead of a slide. Right. And maybe you know, I think his knee is still uh, not 100%, but he's protecting it, which is smart of him. Right. And it was it was a gutsy performance, I think, by him. And I think it inspired his teammates. And I think he showed a lot of character, um, uh, you know, just just the way he uh, acted in the in the lead up to the game and in the post game. I think it was a very impressive performance. It wasn't pretty by Landry, but at the end of the day, he led his team to win. And like I said, he was the first quarterback in the XFL to throw for over 300 yards. He had 305 by Sunday afternoon. Well, good on him because he actually won the he won the game. So that's what Dallas needed. Now let's move uh, further back to Saturday, Tampa Bay at Seattle. Another game that was uh, where both teams were actually showing off their ineptitude for a while until Seattle decided to take control. Right. Right, and I think the story of the game is obviously the Seattle crowd. They showed up. They stood out. The crowd was amazing. Um, I've been a big a big fan of uh, Seattle being part of the league to begin with, and I think they proved why they're such a great sports town, sports city. Um, I think in the game you had, from the football side of things, you had three quarterbacks that are very inexperienced. You know, Brandon Silvers has a little bit of experience from the Alliance of American Football, and he showed some good things. But he's been very up and down the first two weeks. He made one big throw on Saturday, and that was enough to get the Dragons the victory. I think there's potential there with him. Seattle's not quite there yet offensively. For Tampa, they have a lot of talent, but until they get their issues resolved at the quarterback position, they're not going to go very far. Um, they've rushed for over 300 yards the first two weeks. I believe they're first in the league in rushing. So they have very, they're talented up front, the Vipers. But right now, you know, the two-man, two two-headed uh, quarterback team of Taylor Cornelius and Quentin Flowers, they're extremely inexperienced. So and And Aaron Murray wasn't necessarily great either in uh, the opening week. So I think Tampa has got some issues there that they're going to need to resolve. And they got their home opener coming up this Saturday on ABC against Houston. So that's going to be a, a difficult matchup for them. But the game itself was made exciting by the, the level of enthusiasm from the crowd. And it was a close competitive game, even though it wasn't pretty. Yeah, it turned out to be a good game in the end, um, especially good for Seattle. Now, Tampa Bay, you have to remember, uh, also they've played they had to play their first two games on the road. So they finally get to go home now and prepare for the next game at home. So that might give them a boost. Maybe their next game will be their first win. Uh, let's go to the opening game of week two. Now, this was a game that everybody was hoping would be the game of the week because of two powerhouse teams, New York at D.C. And it turns out that uh, D.C. won 27 to nothing. Uh, is D.C. really that good? Are they really that put together that they were able to do that to New York so easily? I think they are. You know, they were my pick before the season to win the XFL championship. I have them uh, beating Dallas. I think the defenders are are a very good team from top to bottom, and they got better. You know, obviously, during the course of training camp, they picked up Rashad Ross. 
and now they just traded for Anthony Johnson on their defense because of the turmoil in Los Angeles. I think they have in football, you only go as far as your quarterback head coach combination, and they have Cardell Jones and Pep Hamilton who are both in sync. So I think they're a very good team overall. Their defense is probably going to get better as the season goes along. They played well on Saturday, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, I think I was very impressed with D.C. The New York side of things, I guess you and I, Mark, we, we can talk about that because, the, unfortunately, uh, New York's ineptitude and issues overshadowed D.C.'s quality. Yeah, exactly. One of the problems with New York is, yeah, they did have they did have some troubles. And you have to remember that Matt McGoin, being the quarterback, he took a lot of he took a lot of heat for that, he, especially in the on-field interviews. And I think the way I saw it myself, I saw Matt McGloin as somebody who's quarterback of a a team that still hasn't gelled. That's what I saw. Right, and and that's a big part of it. I know. Um, I know that here's we finally hit this point in the XFL where the unprecedented access we have uh, that has taken us behind the curtain. And now we've seen what goes on sometimes on sidelines and that access that Matt McGloin and that the fans and the viewers had led to Matt McGloin saying some things that maybe he wishes he hadn't have said on live live television. You know, I've watched so many football games over the years. I've seen Tom Brady yell at his receivers on the sidelines, yell at his coordinators. And obviously Tom Brady's in a different class all by himself. But throughout the years, you see quarterbacks yell at their teammates. It actually happened during the L.A. Dallas game as well. Josh Johnson was trying to calm down his teammates on offense because there were a couple of them that were uh, criticizing the play calls and were upset about not getting the football. And Josh Johnson was trying to rally his troops. I think it was a bad day at the office for Matt McGloin. And because we have access to, to everything he says on the sidelines, it probably didn't come off the way Matt McGloin wanted it to in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, to play devil's advocate here, I think, I think that Matt McGloin, you know, even though he said what he said to a national audience, I think he I don't think his intention was to throw his team under the bus, but he, he you know, it's that's how it came off because he's talking about changing the entire game plan um, and all that. So I, I think it's, you know, because Kevin Gilbride is not calling the offensive plays and G.A. Mangus is, I think that has led that has led to some a little confusion. And uh, uh, like you mentioned, an issue with the offense gelling. And so. Matt would probably like to take back some of those comments that he made, but hey, this is what happens when you have access to the sidelines. When players are frustrated, they're going to say some things, and we, we got an example of that with Matt on on Saturday. Yeah, we I guess we saw too much. Uh, there was actually one moment that I saw where uh, Gilbride was actually having a nice conversation with McGloin about uh, some of the uh, problems, and they were actually uh, seemed to me they were working things out. And then, of course, I think a little while later, after another problem, then then McGloin, in an interview, was actually uh, quite negative about about the, his team. So yeah, I it's troubling go- because Matt McGloin does not have that type of reputation. But now, unfortunately, he's going to be labeled as someone because you're judged by your actions and how you respond as a human being when you're going through adversity. So unfortunately, you know, Matt, Matt is a 30 year old quarterback, veteran quarterback who came recommended by Andy Reid to the New York Guardians staff. And the reason why he's in the position he's in is because people have recommended him and respect him as a veteran quarterback. So for him to have, you know, kind of outbursts and to question the play calling and to to show the lack of leadership, um, it was not a good day for Matt McGloin. It's not representative of who he's been throughout his career, but unfortunately, it was a it was a terrible day for him at the office. And now the New York's going to be moving forward with Matt McGloin still as the starter at quarterback. And, you know, behind closed doors, he's going to have to, you know, mend fences. And the New York's going to need to very quickly now get on the same page. This, this is not the end of the world, really. If you think about it, it's time for New York to uh, to uh, pick up their socks and uh, come out next week and uh, fix some of the problems and come out with a win. And then, Everybody will forget what happened in week two. Yeah, and it won't be easy, that's for sure. They're going to St. Louis, which it looks like they're going to have uh, over 27,000, maybe more. Who knows if they'll make uh, more seating available there in the Dome. So it's going to be a difficult environment for New York to walk in and go on the road and to beat St. Louis in that environment. The Battlehawks have played well, obviously. But you'd like to see a better performance 
from New York, regardless of what happens, win or loss, than you got from them on Saturday. And, you know, lost in the, the opening week one win was the fact that New York's offense was not very good in week one. They were one of 10 on third down. They were outgained by Tampa. Uh, they struggled to move the football. They were aided heavily by their defense and their special teams. So New York is going through the early season struggles that you kind of expect from teams that haven't played with each other before. Let's just hope part of New York's problems was the fact that they were playing against arguably one of the best teams in the league, and that caused them uh, additional grief to what was already there. Now, you mentioned about uh, the attendance in St. Louis next week is going to be high, and that's expected because I, I, I heard that they're almost sold out of tickets, uh, which is quite great. Now, let's talk about the attendance. Now, the attendance in week two overall was higher than week one. But that's because Seattle had 29,000-plus at their game. Yeah, I think Oliver Luck, I don't know if too many people caught this during Radio Road during Super Bowl week. Oliver Luck kind of lowered expectations for attendance. And he said that the league was expecting to average anywhere from 10,000 to maybe 15,000 for a, for the league as a whole. Now, that surprised some people because in the past there were reports and talks that the XFL was looking to average 20,000. Uh, per team for the entire league for the entire season. I think it's a different animal than it was, say, 20 years ago when the original XFL had fairly decent attendance, all things considered. Um, You know, it's going to be difficult. I think that you can see by the XFL's lower bowl strategy, which is basically they've closed the upper bowls in their in the, the stadiums that they play in, that, they're, that they expect the crowds to be in that range, 10, 15, 20,000, 25,000, looks like 27,000 plus in St. Louis. So And so they, they decided to close those upper bowls. And I think the XFL is kind of suffering for the sins of the Alliance of, the, of American Football because uh, a lot of people don't want to put their hard-earned money into something sight unseen, into a product that they're worried about not being around for the long haul. The first two weeks have been helpful to the XFL because they have put out a good product and word of mouth will spread. And that should, obviously winning is a big part of getting uh, good crowds, but that should help the league continue to have consistent attendance week in and week out. It is encouraging to see Seattle and St. Louis do as well as they've done thus far. Yeah, I think the league's going to have some strong markets all season, such as Seattle, Seattle and St. Louis. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see what the attendance is for the next Seattle game, whether it's as high. I kind of suspect it will be, though. I, I just get this feeling that they're going to show up, especially since their team won in the first week. I think there's some definite uh, fan uh, joy that's going on in Seattle. And Seattle and St. Louis has always been very uh, positive about this uh, league. Other markets are just not going to do as well. Uh, such as L.A. Now, L.A. did actually did decently on their game. And uh, it was funny because there was a a clickbait site that actually reused some photos of that people took of the the L.A. stadium, uh, Dignity Health Park, prior to the game starting, like during the warm-ups, and the the stands were empty. (laughs) And they used that as proof that no one's going to the XML games in L.A. But the truth is the L.A. stands actually filled out and my understanding is L.A. fans don't show actually show up for the start of games. They show up fashionably late. Right. And they had over 14,000 fans in attendance. And the fans that were in attendance and people were watching on television were, were very energetic. I think they did a very good job showing up. I think people need to remember this is a first-year league. These are brand-new teams. Um, so L.A. is not an easy market. It's beautiful weather, obviously, out there. And it was beautiful weather for the game. But it's not an easy market to get people to come out and watch the, the team. And I think I think getting 14,000, especially in a smaller stadium like that, which seats around 25,000 in that range, um, was a decent look on television. The crowd did not look bad. I, I'm not shocked by dishonesty from the media or people on social media trying to get clicks and trying to get traffic to their websites and um, being dishonest in general, trying taking pictures before the game to go look. There's only eight people in the stands. I'm not shocked by that. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the day and age we live in. And the XFL is probably going to take a lot of cheap shots like that over the course of the next few weeks uh, of people trying to uh, pull out the shovel and bury the league before it's even been born. Yeah, I just had a good laugh over that. Frankly, it didn't it didn't bother me that much. You made the point exactly that I had that LA actually did pretty decently. 
which is something that actually surprised me because I thought they were going to be uh, far less uh, people at their game, but they did okay. Yeah, and you know, credit to Heather Carrots and that entire team there. They had a little bit of turmoil too after Week One. Obviously, they lost in Week One. They didn't. They didn't have a great debut. You know, they're blown out by the Roughnecks and all that. So it's kind of not a lot of you know enthusiasm. But I think they've done a good job. Heather Carrots and her team there has done a very good job of like um, connecting with their their audience and connecting with their fans. And I think that's important in early going. They're going to have their ups and downs. I expected about 10 grand. They did 14. So they did better than I thought. And, you know, winning is a big elixir for sure. And if L.A., they're going to play – as long as they have Josh Johnson, they're going to be in every game and they're going to be – they're going to play an exciting brand of football. How many games they win, that remains to be seen. All the power to L.A. That's all I have to say. Let's start. Let's go. Let's move to next week now uh, before we end our, our time together today. Let's talk about the four games next week. I'm just going to run through them. Maybe a prediction. Let's do okay. some predictions. So the first game next week, this Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, Houston at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's okay. first home game. Yeah, Tampa Bay's first home game. This Again, this could be a smaller crowd than uh, we expect. Obviously, that's a much larger stadium there, Raymond James. I think Tampa's better than people give them credit for. Obviously, a big F with them is whether or not they're going to get quality play from their quarterback position. I think they can run the ball in Houston. I think St. Louis ran the ball well, controlled the game against Houston. I think they can keep it close, but I think ultimately Houston is just better. You know, they just have too many weapons on on offense. P.J. Walker's playing really well. Uh, it's an intriguing matchup, I guess, for an old football head like me because you've got uh, June Jones going against Jerry Glanville. Um only I would care about something like that, but that's like a unique uh, storyline since those two are very close friends. They're very tight with each other, and obviously they're on the same uh, run-and-shoot staffs together, so they're in Atlanta and otherwise. So I think um, maybe even in CFL as well. So I think that's going to be a fun and intriguing little sideline uh, storyline. So uh, that will be fun. that'll be a fun one, but I, I think Houston will win. Yeah, people have been predicting Tampa Bay in the last two weeks. They've been predicting Tampa Bay to do better, including Vegas. So I wonder how Vegas is going to treat this one. They're going to finally probably give it to Houston to win, give it to the visitor to win. Yeah, it's uh, growing on some of the uh, some of the sites there. I saw it at as much as four points and growing up to as much as seven points. So it's varying Caesars and otherwise as far as the spreads go. So that's a lot. You know, if you're favored by five, six, seven points on the road, but Houston has played that well, I guess, to warrant that kind of treatment. So I think the Vipers can make the can call me crazy. Maybe I'm alone on an island, but I think they can they can be competitive in this game and have an opportunity to win. I'd like to see them competitive at least, and I'd love to see them win. But I'm also picking Houston, the visitor in this game. Let's move to the next game. Uh, also on Saturday, Dallas is going to Seattle. This is an interesting matchup, isn't it? It's it's important in their division as well because Seattle started the season off with two Eastern teams in D.C. and in Tampa. So this is their first divisional matchup. And, of course, Dallas is coming off beating L.A. So uh, Dallas, if they can st- if they can steal this one on the road um, and beat Seattle in that environment, it should be a great crowd again. Then they'll be 2-0 in the division. They'll have two road victories and they'll get to play those teams later in the season at home. So. It's important from that aspect. I think I think it comes down to, you know, quarterback play again. Seattle can ride that atmosphere and their home crowd to victory, but it's Landry Jones versus Brandon Silvers, and Seattle's defense has played better since week one. So I, I think Dallas, once Dallas starts clicking on all cylinders on offense with Hal Mummy and Landry gets healthier and they get more confident, I think they're going to be a difficult team to contend with. So I would pick Dallas in the game. I think it's going to be a close one. I think Dallas will win, which won't be easy two weeks two weeks in a row on the road to pull off the victory, but I think they will. Oh, I don't doubt that they can pull it off. But, you know, with Seattle being at home and something that uh, receiver Dantes Bird recently told me uh, earlier in this podcast is that he thinks that Seattle uh, – They've practiced with the XFL football in the rain enough that they know how to handle it in the rain. Perhaps, perhaps Dallas doesn't. 
<laughs> hey, you look for any advantage you can get, for sure, and and uh, that helps Seattle. They they'll probably if it is a nice day out and it doesn't rain, they'll probably their offensive skill players will be very happy. Uh, be much easier for them to function. But if they do run into some kind of rainstorms, which is uh, customary in Seattle, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah, they, they have that advantage for sure. Well, you know that there's something to be said for Hal Mum and that towel that he wears. He could use that towel to dry off the balls. Yeah, he's a smart man, that's for sure. So <laughs> he's prepared for that situation. Well, it's going to be, you know what, I'm just i just excited about watching uh, that game uh, next weekend just for those reasons that we just talked about. There's so much fun to be had in this league, and I just enjoy it. Now let's move to Sunday of next week. New York Guardians is going to St. Louis. All right, it's and, a very tough game here. I think New York would show a lot if they were able to go because right now, like Kevin Gilbride mentioned, he's he's trying to keep the team together. He doesn't want the team to splinter. And they just went through, I don't want to like over – uh, emphasize this, but a little bit for in football terms, it was kind of a traumatic experience. They ate a huge giant slice of humble pie, and the team came apart at the seams. So, um, if New York can go on the road here and prove themselves against what looks like a very good St. Louis team, or at least be competitive and have an opportunity, maybe function well on offense, which they haven't done yet, um, this is a big week for Kevin Gilbride and his staff. It, it'll say a lot if New York shows up in St. Louis and gets blown out and doesn't do very well on offense it's it's not it's only one loss but it's going to feel like a hell of a lot more coming off of what just happened in dc so um and that is going to be a difficult environment st louis this is going to be like one of the most anticipated at the moment we found out that st louis was going to be part of the xfl we were looking towards their home opener and it's finally arrived in week three so uh that atmosphere should be electric it should be fun it should be loud it's going to be a difficult environment for new york i can't I can't see them winning the game. Um, uh, you know, I hope they play better than they did last week, but I, I have to, because St. Louis, all that emotion, that atmosphere, the way they've been playing, uh, I think St. Louis ultimately is going to win the game. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I hope New York is competitive, but I have to give it to St. Louis. Now let's move to the last game quickly, D.C. at L.A. Now is D.C.'s now on the road? Will that change anything? That might, you know, the the big thing here, which a lot of people may, may may focus in on as we get closer to the game, is this is the first revenge game in the XFL, and on, on the DC side, you have Anthony Johnson, who's a team captain of the Los Angeles Wildcats, going into Week One. He played in Week One, and then he was subsequently traded after he took his ball and walked home because he was upset that Pepper Johnson had been fired by Winston Moss. So now he's getting an opportunity to play his former team about a little over a week after the whole scenario played out there. Then there's also Rashad Ross, who was none too happy about being traded from LA. He was their top draft pick to DC and Rashad Ross went on social media to take shots at LA for trading him. So, you know, I, I think this is going to be a very intriguing matchup for those two players. And those are significant contributors that you're going to find out a lot about dc on the road um how they hold up and uh this cardell jones versus josh johnson on paper this this could be this could be a shootout i think we could see a lot of points here dc is very balanced on offense they have good running backs good receivers good tight ends um they have a great play caller in pep hamilton so i think dc will win here but it would not shock me if la got their first win of the season and pulled an upset nobody expects that but it would not shock me at all because of Josh Johnson. I think uh, L.A. has a has a realistic shot, but I would be careful. I'd watch closely because there's a little extra motivation for Anthony Johnson and Rashad Ross to stick it to the Wildcats. This is the first revenge game in the XFL. It's cool that you're able to call this one a revenge game. I never thought about that until now. Thanks, Mike. Now, I'm giving it to D.C. I don't think D.C. is going to do it. They're just unstoppable at this point in time. And uh, they're probably going to go on the road and, and, and do it to L.A. That's my thought on it. But overall, I'm looking forward to week three of the XFL. Aren't you? Oh, it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. These games, with every week that goes by, we are now in the business of football. So with every, now we're into the games. We're into the players. We're talking about the matchups. You know, it's hard to ignore all the business stuff, ratings, attendance, all that stuff. But now we're in the business of football in which each week with each week that passes, these games gain more importance and they become more fun to analyze and go over. 
and the the stakes get raised with every week that goes by. So uh, by the time we get to midseason, I think all these teams will start to hit top form, uh, you know, barring injuries. And then so we're going to see some really good football. If you think the first couple of weeks are very good, it's only going to get better. Well, I look forward to it. I'd like to thank you for coming out to the podcast today, Mike. Uh, always wonderful to talk to you about football. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to my guests, Dantes Bird and Mike Mitchell. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You are welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. <laughs> <laughs>